what it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org. Today on Conversation Piece, hear from one of my UCLA alums, Michael Butler, who talks about generational wealth through home ownership. But first, Stasi Kuzak Mercedes with Downtown Women's Action Coalition of LA Can to tell us about the Freedom Singers Concert Series on Thursdays at 6 p.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live. Go to Los Angeles Community Action Network on Facebook for details. Oh, and April is Jazz Appreciation and Financial Literacy Month. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Anastasia Kuzak, Mercedes of Downtown Women's Action Coalition, Los Angeles Community Action Network. That's a mouthful. Welcome to Conversation <laughs> Peace. Hi, how are you today? I am well, and thank you for joining me. And we're just going to talk about Downtown Women's Action Coalition, your role in it. And specifically, what do you do with Los Angeles Community Action Network? And how did you how did you get connected with them? Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. So I first got connected with the Los Angeles Community Action Network in I want to say about 2019 when um, my friend was interning um, interning at LA Can, and I started. Um, coming to LA Can just for a few events. I think I started volunteering a little bit. I wasn't um, I wasn't super involved, so I'd be on and off. I came a couple times, maybe in a month or so. And then um, and then I was off for a little bit, so I, I hadn't been back to, the, to LA Can for a little while. And then actually, um, I think it was Monique reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to perform at a Freedom Now event that they were having in the summer. And so this is the summer of 2019, right after I had graduated from college. And I was really excited. I was like, sure, of course, I'd love to be a part of Freedom Now. So I came in for Freedom Now. I had a great time. I got to rehearse with KO. Um, so that's when I first met KO at LA Can. And so I rehearsed um, a couple times. And it was me and another girl. And we rehearsed a few times. And then we got to sing at Freedom Now. And it was a great event. And that was my first Freedom Now event with, um, with LA Can. And it's always a beautiful event, of course. So um, I really enjoyed that experience. And it was so nice to be part of it. So nice to be asked to and um, to get to sing. And so then after that, I just had a really good, um, like, memory of LA Can and all the work that they do. And I loved um, being there. I loved the energy and I loved the presence and I loved the art that was there as well. I was really interested in all of the art that was happening there. But I, I sort of got disconnected for a little while. And then when the pandemic happened, I think I was sort of in contact with people, but I wasn't really involved. And then when the pandemic happened is when I got reconnected with LA Can. Um, I think it might have been Monique again who reached out to me actually because we um, they were starting up some songwriting sessions and the Freedom Singers were getting back to work during the um, pandemic to have some virtual shows. So I was able to come in. We started having some songwriting sessions and that was so great. And it was just um, it was during last summer, the summer of 2020. So we had the pandemic happening. We had all the protests in the wake of George Floyd and everything happening. So there's the energy was just um, just right for. Um, like we needed art and culture to be created and we needed um, we needed anthems, we needed songs, we needed music and community. And so um, we f I found that at LA Can. I think other people were able to find that at LA Can. And then after that, I was just regularly involved because I started singing with the Freedom Singers. We had Culture Hour and we, we, went, we did Culture Hour Strong from the summer until um, Christmas time, actually. So that's several months where we were doing a show every week. So I was I was coming in for rehearsals a couple times a week and I was singing on culture hour every single week. And that was just great. Like um, the best thing that was happening for me in the pandemic really like really made me have something to look forward to something that I really enjoyed and something where I felt like I was doing something like creating something that m meant something. And so I was um, really inspired by LA can. And then I um, slowly started working at LA can as well. I started working part-time and then, um, and now I work there as well. So um, so yeah, 
now so that's why I started is with the freedom singers and with um singing arts and culture department but now I do a couple of things across LA can okay so you're so freedom now what is freedom now Freedom Now is the um, is the fundraiser event that happens every year. So it usually happens in the summer. And so the first one I experienced was summer of 2019. And it happens at LA Can. It's like a dinner um, event where um, there's like tables and families get to come together. Folks get to come together from the community. Um, um, funders, sponsors, just um, all folks involved with LA Can get to come together. And it's a night of like music, celebration, laughter, talking, just kind of like um, recap what's going on and fundraising for the what, whatever's going on at LA Can. So at the time that I performed, I don't think I knew super well what was going on with all the campaigns. But this year, I was much more involved actually with Freedom Now. It was held virtually in 20, 2020, 2020, it was held virtually actually so I was much more involved in that one it was held later because it got pushed back since COVID was going on and no one knew what was going on but we were able to actually pull together a, fun, a virtual fundraiser in I think it was November of 2020 it must have been around November of 2020 instead of the summertime and so it had a similar concept of course we couldn't have dinner because it wasn't in person it was online but what we did have was a lot of special guests a lot of um, performers we had musical guests we had um speakers it was really a great and inspirational event and i loved um i loved getting to organize that it was great because i was able to sing in the first freedom now that i was involved in and then the second one i was able to have more of a hands-on um engagement in actually organizing the event and i was able to perform with the freedom singers as well in that um virtual event which actually can still be found on the elecan youtube page on the elecan facebook and if you scroll far back on the elecan instagram as well so if if anyone wants to check it out and a lot of our projects that are still relevant right now because we're still working on them like the um ecohood project in uh, mid-city which is affordable sustainable housing we were fundraising for that during the ecohood project or doing that sorry during the um freedom now event um we were fundraising for the ecohood project and that continues to develop now so it's still relevant if anyone wants to check out the freedom now now show if they weren't able to um tune in earlier earlier last year Freedom now. So will it continue as a virtual for 2021? I don't know about that. I mean, I guess it depends on what happens in the summertime. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, actually, because it was a great event. We had it was very it was pretty successful. We had it virtually. We had people turn out and um, show up and give. So that was great. Um, I'm sure we'd love to have in-person events, but I don't know if that's going to be safe yet in the summer. So we might continue to have it virtually this year. I'm not 100% sure, actually. Okay. And then you said something about Echo Hood. What is Echo Hood? <laughs> Explain that a little bit more. So our Echo Hood project is a development in um, in South Central LA. I think I might have said, did I say Mid-City before? I might have said that, but in, it's in South Central LA. And so it is Right now, it's this piece of land that we have where we're going to be developing um, like sustainable, affordable housing for folks. So it's um, it's faster, it's cheaper, and it's sustainable is the um, is the whole three three pieces of it. And it's really exciting because it's um, it's going to be actually like humane housing for folks instead of like um, like trying to fit people into storage lockers, something like that. It's like real um, housing with like a kitchen, a bed, everything that a person could need. And it's gonna have that sense of community that is so necessary for um, um, for everyone to have is that piece of community. And so, yeah, so that's that's the big project. We have updates on it on our website, kangris.org. And we have, we're always putting updates out on our Instagram as the project develops, continues to develop and on, on our Facebook. So our Instagram is at LACAN network underscore official for anyone who wants to check it out. But yeah, we always have updates on um, on that project. And you said it's in South Central Los Angeles. Where where in South LA? It is on um, Budlong and, ooh, I'm not, I can't think off the top of my head of the address, but I know it's on Budlong, it's in South Central. The, those of us who are from Los Angeles, we are, but but long, I am familiar with where that where but long runs mm -hmm. within um, the corridor of, of Los Angeles. You guys are advocates. You guys are human rights advocates, housing rights um, advocates. And we know that we see unhoused people everywhere in the Los Angeles area. And we have, you know, we have some stereotypes 
that that need to be broken down and there's a stigma attached to mm -hmm. to being unhoused how how has your perspective about unhoused people changed and developed and how can what can be done to help other people on that journey mm. i think for me one of the probably one of the largest things that changed was um learning that um learning how deep rooted issues in our society are because i feel like i've i used to have when i was younger used to have this perception that you can just build like build more housing we can just let's just house people let's just you know throw up some houses and build housing and get people off the streets and that's sort of it but when you really look when you really jump into the issues that are there and then you realize that it's not even that there's not enough housing there is enough housing which is when you realize that it's not that um it's not that people can't be housed it's that there's all these systems in place where people are um, profiting from not housing people who are unhoused. And that's sort of why these issues continue to be perpetuated. And it's like, then you realize that it's not that the system is failing. It's that the system is doing what it's intended to do, which is um, much harder to, to grapple with. Cause then you realize like, wow, like we live in a society where people living on the, are living on the streets so that people can continue to get rich, so that people can get richer, so that people can make profits, so that people can uh, make money, so people can gain political clout or all of these things where, um, yeah, it's, it's much harder to grapple with because I think that there is, this, there is this idea that you can put the blame on people and you can blame people like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And the truth is that um, the issues that create houselessness are much deeper than any individual person um, living on the street. It's not just, why didn't this person do that? Why, why didn't this person do this, that? Um, yeah, and so I think that, I guess, yeah, it goes even beyond, I think of course empathy is a, first, is a great first step for folks to have as you approach issues that you don't know that much about, but at the same time, like, it, not even like not even looking at a person and thinking like oh poor you like you you're just a poor person who whatever it's like no like the system is designed to keep people um to keep people poor to keep people especially like especially when you look around the city of Los Angeles and you see that black people are um disproportionately represented and obviously that's not by coincidence that's not just oh it just happened to be that black people couldn't keep their housing. Of course, that's not, that's not what's going on. It's much deeper than that. And it, and it comes from all of these systems that have continued to exist, racism, deep-seated racism that has existed in this country since its inception. And yeah, so I think that, I guess it's a combination of empathy and then understanding that, that people can't really, it's not a choice that people are making. It's, it's something that exists beyond individual people. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It it's 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 a lot. It's mm -hmm. not just what we see on the surface. Exactly. And exactly. one thing I know for sure at Cangress.org, you guys have plenty of publications mm -hmm. and reports for yeah. people to dig into to to know what are some of these other underlying systematic issues. Mm -hmm. that are keeping people unhoused and keeping exactly. them poor and keeping them without knowledge of how to navigate through a system mm -hmm. that is designed mm -hmm. to, to make money off of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now with Downtown Women's Action Coalition, what, what are some of the current projects with, with that organization? So with the Downtown Women's Action Coalition, we're always just um, we're always just doing work building community with women in um, Skid Row, and so um, we're doing outreach. Um, the I would say I'm gonna say the first thing that I really got involved when I, with I think for uh, the Downtown Women's Action Coalition was organizing the healing circles, which we usually have once a month, and so those are um, a really great way that we um, that we that we um, do both healing at the same time as we do the work. So we schedule in the healing as a part of the work. And so um, 
it was unfortunate that it was during COVID we had to be online and that was pretty um, like, that was difficult to navigate, but we did continue to have our healing circles every month online. And in that we, we have people do poetry, we have folks singing, we have people leading um, breathing, different breathing exercises, uh, stretching, anything you can think of a healing modality, we do that in the healing circles. And it's really great because it's like, it, sh- it just shows how important healing is as a part of the work. And it's like healing can be done in community with other people. And that's kind of the best way it can be done is like um, beyond like self-care, it's like community care is so important. And I think that the uh, Down to Women's Action Coalition just really has enveloped that and ingrained that into the mission of what we do. What projects are you involved in mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with Downtown Women Action Coalition? So the, the healing circle for community care and what, what other projects are you involved in with, with them? I'm involved in, well, um, yeah, I would say mo- like everyone's sort of involved in everything because it's such a member driven, like such a community based group. It's like members um, just drive everything that we do. And so as a member, I'm sort of involved in everything we're working on. Um, so we, we, we are working on, we were working on doing, um, outreach for Project Room Key when that was available. And then now, of course, we're looking ahead and we're looking how we can do um, work for next steps, how we can make sure that Project Room Key isn't the end, isn't where um, women are sort of like dropped in and then nothing else is given to make sure that um, the housing is sustainable, that it's long-term. And so that's where we're, we're turning our eyes now is on um, how we can do all that advocacy around getting um, real like long-term housing solutions. Okay, and so now in the healing circle, so the healing circles before the pandemic were in person, now they are online. Is there virtual healing happening? There's definitely virtual healing happening for sure. I can see it happening. It's really nice. It's, it is sad that it, it's online and being online can be kind of limiting. And it's like, you don't have that same energy connection with folks as if you were sitting in the same room, but people are still engaging. You can see it. They, they're still, people close their eyes, do the breathing exercises through the screens. So like people do the stretches to the best of their ability, whatever the, whatever the space they're in. We do like, um, there's certain exercises that are <laughs> kind of funny because they're like, you'll breathe in and then you make a noise and you'll be like, oh, oh, or something like that. You do like the certain noises you do in the breathing. And it's funny because I'll be like, I mean, I'll be at the office or I'll be um, in my apartment with my roommates. And I'm just thinking like, I wonder if my roommates are hearing me like doing these noises. And then I'm thinking, I wonder where other people are because I see other people, all their backgrounds, they're anywhere. But people are definitely still engaging to the best of their ability that they can. They're really, um, doing everything and it's nice because things like music and poetry that people are able to share that can that transfers through the screen maybe not to the same degree as in person seeing those performances but it's nice because you can still get the same I think benefits from hearing people speaking their poems and singing and everything now where now where, where does the poetry come from is it something that you guys do is it original poems that you guys bring to the table other people poems how, how does that work it's um it is I would say it's usually originals. I mean, it, we're really open to anything. If someone wanted to recite um, poems from someone else, they could do that for sure. But for the most part, I think from what I've seen, because we have some really talented um, people as our, in, our, in our membership as DWAC, there's actually a lot of crossover, I would say. As, even in, as you can see with my stories, I started with um, Arts and Culture Department and I ended up getting involved with DWAC. So there's a lot of crossover because there's a lot of talent that can be found, I think. Um, everywhere and a lot of like arts and culture that can be found everywhere in LA can which is so great but um, all that to say that um, the, there's there's people who are poets in our in our DWAC membership so they're writing poems they're writing monologues they're writing anything from their feelings to what's what, what work we're doing everything about everything that's going on and it's so great um, because we have such talent around us and then to hear that expressed in poetry and song is amazing wow Wow, that 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 is, and you know, and to know that you guys provide all of these services for the Skid Row community and in downtown Los Angeles has to be just, you know, when you say community care, it's like, oh, that's that's community care for sure, because I know that you guys have your Wellness Wednesdays. Oh, you know what? Tell us about Wellness Wednesday. Yeah, so Wellness Wednesday is um, the, it's in the um, food and wellness 
department. But so Wellness Monday and Sunday Strong has been an event that's been going on throughout the pandemic where um, where the Food and Wellness Committee is able to put together survival bags and then pass them out to our community members. And of course, all of these events are community events. So it's the community that even puts them together and makes them happen. And then the community, um, it's community to community care, exactly what you're saying, community care right there. So um, yeah, so folks come together, put together survival bags and um, do that in the most COVID safe way possible. We have hand sanitizer, people wear gloves. Of course, we have our masks. We have people um, enforcing social distancing. So when people are lining up to get their bags, they stay six feet apart. But at the same time, we also incorporate fun, love, arts and culture in it. So when people come through the line, there'll be music playing, people will be dancing as they come to get their survival bags. So the survival bags have also been an amazing um, community effort because you see there's like hot meals in the bags and those hot meals come from everywhere. They come from, um, mutual aid groups they come from sometimes they come from um like um places like every table or subway but a lot of times they're like groups that are able to bring in um food and hot meals like mutual aid type groups that do um just amazing work so that's really a community effort too and yeah the bags have things like socks things like hand sanitizer soaps and then those hot meals and like some canned goods and stuff so it's really a survival bag excellent when does the healing circles occur and when is, what are the hours for Wellness Wednesday? So Wellness Wednesday and Sunday Strong are going to be every Wednesday and every Sunday. And they start around, I would say around noon is when they start passing, opening up the gate and passing out those bags every um, Wednesday, every Sunday. Uh, maybe around 1230, I would say to be safe. 12, 1230 is when they start. And the healing circle, we usually do every last Tuesday of the month. We try and catch every last Tuesday of the month. Sometimes we move it around um, depending on what's going on with the group, what's going on with um, with DWAC as a whole. But um, yeah, we try and do it at the end of every month. And we always post on our Instagram and on our Facebook um, when we're going to do those events. So it, you, it can always be checked out when we when we decide to move around the date. It'll always be up to date on the Instagram and on the Facebook. Can anybody join or how, how do you become a member of DWAC? So for, yeah, so for, I'll say for our healing circles, our healing circles, we are open to, um, to, I think we're open to everyone. We're open, yeah, we're open to, um, to women, non-binary folks, um, gender non-conforming folks, I would say. And then um, to get involved in DWAC, um, we have, we usually, um, we have, we usually have events and like outreach and stuff like that, that we organize. It is a little harder, I would say. I'm trying to, um, think of the ways that people can get involved. It's harder because of um, the COVID restrictions that we can't just like have events that are in person and open to everyone, which is I think where um, DWAC really was able to get a lot of those memberships because we just have those events, have those open doors, people come and then they're able to like um, continue to come and be become part of the membership. And it is harder because it's online and it's, um, we don't have that same open door openness, but, um, but people can definitely get involved by um, reaching out over our um, social media platforms by um, even just even just there's some folks who come to like Wellness Wednesday and Sunday Strong events and so we get to talk to people there and engage people there and start to build that um, build those connections and build out our membership but yeah COVID has definitely impacted that ability to grow a little bit right right good information and good community care now mm -hmm. I understand you are going to be in a concert next Thursday. Well, this Thursday, you're <laughs> going to be in a concert this Thursday with the Culture Hour. LA can tell us about this concert you're going to be doing. So the concert is going to be it's going to be a concert series that we're doing, and it's really the Freedom Singers. So we had done Culture Hour consistently from I think the beginning of the summer until December of um, 2020 until the wrap up of last year. And so then we um, we kind of closed down Culture Hour partially because of the COVID spikes that were happening around Christmas time, around December or around January um, as well. And then we started to shift because another thing was Culture Hour took a lot of capacity, a lot of hours for rehearsal. And then we were, it was a great show, but we, um, we sort of had like internal talks and we we're talking about like, how can we sort of change up what we're doing and like use our um, really focus um, our work and then create other pieces of art. And so um, we had this idea to do a concert series. So we're gonna be featuring our, um, our freedom singers in concert. 
And um, and the Freedom Singers, of course, have been around much longer than um, the pandemic has been going on. They used to be around in person, but um, but yeah, of course, that shift has to happen because of COVID to online um, the online format. Um, so yeah, so this is going to be the first in the concert series. So I'll be featured, but it'll of course be with all the other Freedom Singers. Will be present. We'll have um, Ko on the piano. We'll have Natan, Damon, Brother Pancake will be there singing. So and and then we'll have um, Cassius on the drums, Chris on the bass. So it'll be um, just a Freedom Singer um, show, and I'll just be featured this week. But we'll continue to have them. <clears throat> okay. So what what can what 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 are what are some of the songs you're going to be singing? Yeah, I can tell you a couple songs. Let me think. I'm going to be singing. I'm going to be singing. Well, you might see a little Tina Turner come out. You might see a little um, some some new songs. I'm actually really excited because um, I've been singing um, sort of the same styles of songs in in all of our Freedom Singer um, work that we've done. Um, we also, as Freedom Singers, um, go to different events. So we've been going to different events um, throughout the year as we can, as when it's safe to do so. So yes, yeah, so we've had some opportunities to sing and I've been singing sort of the same, the same couple songs. We've been singing the same couple songs. So it's really exciting because we're getting to learn a lot of new material and it's new genres as well. So I'm gonna have some more, um, I don't wanna say operatic, but a little more operatic style song. I'm gonna have some, um, yeah, we're just gonna sh switch up the genres. I'm really excited about that. And we've been having our rehearsals and they've been so fun. And Wow. Okay. Okay. And, and this is, this is, um, this, the concert series with the Freedom Singers began Thursday. Yes. That'll be on the LA can Facebook live. So it, it's, um, the title is Los Angeles community action network on the Facebook and we'll be live then. Okay. Stasi, thank you so much for, for being on conversation piece. Um, with me. Any any last words about anything? The Healing Circle, Freedom Singers? Um, well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a great experience. And I guess just my last thoughts are that um, LA Can, I think I love how much arts and culture drives everything that we do. It goes hand in hand in every piece of work. And you see it, even in what I talked about, I talked about food and wellness, I talked about DWAC, I talked about the arts and culture department and all of them just come together because arts and culture and um, movement work just go hand in hand. They drive each other, I think. And so that's what I love. Okay, all right. Well, I'm Angela Birdsong and you are listening to Conversation Piece on radiojustice.org. Freedom Singers Concert Series on Thursdays at 6 p.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live. Go to Los Angeles Community Action Network on Facebook for details. Next, Michael Butler, who speaks on generational wealth through home ownership. Welcome to Conversation Peace. Thank you. Man, what? Thank you. Welcome, Ms. Bursar. <laughs> yes, yes. And just and just real quick to let the Conversation Peace audience know, Michael Butler and I are fellow alumni from UCLA. We used to work together at UCLA. So I have known Michael Butler for a very very long time. And he was also instrumental in my radio career. We won't go into all, all of that. Can I say the year? Do you remember the year? 1991. <laughs> I started working in early outreach and you were my right. supervisor. <laughs> yes. Oh, did I get away with stuff? <laughs> 
<laughs> Those were good times, good times, very good times. But the reason why, why we have you on the show today, you are a real estate agent for Realty One Group. And you reached out to me saying, hey, I want, I want people to understand how home ownership can lead to generational wealth. So here we are. But before we get into the generational wealth, what is happening with the housing market in the pandemic? Are there new rules? Is it safe? Tell us about this. The housing market's kind of, it's taken off. And whereas a lot of people expect it to slow down, it's actually going, it's getting bigger and bigger in terms of the transactions. Um, we're doing a number of things right now to, to ensure everyone's safety. Um, there's a lot of precautions that you see just in the normal public. We have to take extra precautions. There's limitations on how you can see a house. Um, for instance, there's no open houses anymore. There's no door knocking to meet clients. So that's hurt a lot of agents like myself who meet people in public. We're no longer able to do that. But when we are able to show a client a home, we cannot just show up. We have to fill out forms. We have to have them submit it within a certain time frame before we can actually go. So you have to have at least a minimum of 30 minutes from sending the form and acknowledging that you want to see the property to actually being able to go into it. And because of that limitation of the forms, fewer and fewer people are able to see homes, but yet the homes are selling faster than ever. Average home stays on the market six days. And that's across all markets of Southern California, six days. And some are, many of them are going faster. Um, we're also finding that, and I'm, I'm chasing homes right now for buyers. Um, they're going really fast. I'm used to writing an offer. If there's competitors, I'm usually probably only writing two or three um, offers before we're in. I'm going to houses, making requests to see them. They've been on the market four days. They're already off the market. Homeowners are saying, it was a parade of people in here. We're done. We've already got 40 people in here. We have 35 offers. We have six people under counter offers. It's crazy. So when you're writing an offer, you can expect that there's probably at least 10 other offers that are in for that same home. So homes are going 20, 30, $50,000 over asking price. So for a buyer, there's more buyers and less sellers out there. So that's creating this. Uh, people are learning the pandemic. They don't like the home that they're living in. Now that they're forced to be there, they're realizing that maybe I don't like the time with my spouse so much. I don't like being with my kids. <laughs> now that they're here all day long with me, I need my own oasis. You know, maybe my room needs to be bigger and the family room needs to be smaller. So people are making those changes. Um, and contrary to popular belief, there's a lot of qualified buyers out there. A lot of people are on forbearance that don't need to be. And that's what scares me. People are going on forbearance because they think, oh, cool, I ain't got to pay no rent right now. I don't have to pay my mortgage right now, but it's coming back. You're going to have to pay it. And that's going to put you in problems. Fortunately, you're able to refi and the refi will probably cover for it. It'll make it up and you can get a better rate. So there's a lot of things that are happening and juggling on at the same time in the market, but it is definitely a seller's market. It's definitely an opportunity. If you can buy, you should buy. The rates are so low. It's like you're not even getting interest on it. I mean, at 2.25%, it, it interest rate on the loan, whereas people in the in the late 80s and the 90s were paying 13, 16% interest, it's not the same. You're paying just to the principal at this point. Wow. It's a seller's market. You can't just have open houses anymore, but houses are moving quickly. That's the demand. That's the demand. It's a numbers game. You know, the buyer's numbers have increased. Um, you consider that uh, 2008, 2009, people had bad credits and, you know, things were going on in the credit, losing their jobs, foreclosures, and so forth. And then you figure, okay, you juggle, you struggle, and then it hits your credit, credit report, 2011, 2012, now it's on my credit. Now I got to, you know, move in my mama's house and I got kids in school. So the kids stayed in school longer. So now they're They've gone to college, but now they're staying to get their master's, their doctorates, they're getting their law degrees, they're all focusing on education. Guess what? Those kids are now out. And now they've got a little experience. Now they're savvy to work online and work from home. 
So we got these engineers that have master's degrees. We have these engineers that have PhDs. They're coming out and they're making more money than we were making. I pull up the houses and there's a younger generation. I'm not supposed to talk too much about age, but they're buying homes. They're qualifying for more than I could. And then find out there's two of them. There are a couple. So each one of them is making more than me. So that's the new market. That's the new buyer. And then all those people in 2012, they're, oh, seven years to get your credit right? Seven, eight years, roughly? 2012, seven, 219, 220. Guess what? I can buy again. I can now go out and buy. My, my, my bankruptcies, all that's come off. I can go and buy. And at a 2% rate, when I was buying at 6 and 8% back then, why not? Why not get back into another home? But do it smartly. So we're looking at, so we're, we're not talking about buyers within our age group. We're talking about those who are in their 20s, 20s, 30s. I'm saying, you know, I'm not supposed to talk too much about age groups. <laughs> the, you know, Equal Opportunity Act, we have, you know, we're supposed to talk about race, age, sex. But yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, yes, I'm seeing a lot of young buyers. I'm seeing a lot of buyers. Um, but I think the majority of the people that I'm dealing with, that I work with, they're younger people qualifying for larger amounts than they have previously. At least on statistics is showing that. And I'm seeing people buying their second or third home. Typically, the price range in which they're buying, they're buying right into that second phase home. You know, you don't, they aren't getting the starter home, they're getting that second phase home where you decide, I want more room for the kids. I want more room to spread out. And in some cases, they're buying the retirement type home. This is my lifestyle. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to be forever. Versus, you know, there's three levels, you know, that get me in. Okay, get me in with room for the kids. Okay, kids are gone. Now get me to something that fits the way I want to retire, the way I want to enjoy my life. And so I think that scale, that, 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 um, that metric has changed. You know, they're, they're coming in with more money and they're able to buy early. They don't need that. You know, I got customers showing up with 200000 in the bank, ready to go. You know, and I'm like, man, I want FHA, down payment assistance. There's programs. That's what I came into when I bought my house before I was an agent. You know, and I'm looking at now clients coming in with 300000 in the mattress, you know, staying at mama's house. You know, how do I compete with that if I'm a buyer? How do you compete with that if you're a buyer? You can't. You can. Cash flows, right? Cash is still king. Cash is king, but it's not all cash. Here's the problem. They don't have a million dollars. The prices of the homes are going up because of the because of the seller's market. So just you might put a large down, but stability in the workforce right now is important. With the pandemic, a lot of people are losing their jobs or suspect of potentially losing their jobs. So a lot of us are sitting steady. We refinance, we lower our bills, we lower our payments. But then there's a lot of us that are, you know, how do I say this in a nice way? <laughs> um, you know, we don't know, you know, check to check. Essentially, you know, worked at some place for 10 years, check to check now. But you can compare that 20 years at X, Y, and Z company to the new kid that's only worked two years of work experience. So I'm seeing lenders doing a lot more work verifications. They're validating, they're checking multiple times throughout the process. Whereas you might've got a call at the end and then a call the day before the loan closes. Now they're three, four times they're checking, you know, before they even start to spin their wheels. The underwriter's checking, the loan processor's checking, the loan, you know, the underwriter's checking again um, at the end of the process, you know, so. There's a lot of emphasis on work and work history and career-wise. So I think leveraging that, a smart agent's going to help them leverage that, is going to help them leverage um, where we used to write stories. I was telling you about that before. Um, you want to try to leverage as much as you can. Really put your best foot forward. Um, think of the 80s and the 90s when we were writing essays to go to college. You know, you had to be vulnerable and being vulnerable can sometimes pay off in a really big way. And so if you're willing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there and say, this is what I want, it's like finding love. When you put it all out there and it's the right person, it works. 
Now, how can, you know, cause I know one of the things that you were concerned about for, for particularly for the black and brown communities is that we're not building generational wealth. Now, I, I looked up what generational wealth is by definition is passing assets down from one generation to the next. Seems pretty simple, right? And that you leave behind a notable inheritance to your descendants and that constitutes generational wealth. How can home ownership build generational wealth if when mother and father dies or grandma and grandpa die and we don't keep that house in the family? I'm, again, I'm speaking from my experiences, my personal experiences, not as my uh, professional role. Um, I can say that my family um, owned a house in a great neighborhood and a great area and my grandparents and when they passed away, there was no plan. Everyone talked before about wills. Um, in the 90s, it was a, there was a concept that came out called transfer upon death. Um, and a lot of people rushed down to the assessor's office and filled this form out that said, upon my death, my house goes to this person. Um, finding out in the recent years, that means nothing to title companies. Someone can challenge that. The problem with generational wealth is one, our education. We don't educate each other on financial management. We don't educate each other, our children um, and our friends you know, let's put that responsibility on everyone, family, friends, um, associates, um, should all share information as we learn, but we're not sharing it. So when you're handed a home where a home is left to you, we don't know what to do. And when you're living check to check or struggling and someone says that I can give you X amount of dollars, that sounds really good. It solves my immediate problems. And we are such an immediate gratification culture. Um, my family, again, speaking from, we jump on it and we take that money. We take that quick cash and we are very vulnerable for that. And I see a lot of people playing on the culture by putting their signs up that say, we'll buy for cash, we'll buy. And I don't see those signs in every neighborhood. You know, I think it's interesting where those signs, where they hang up. And I can go to certain places and I'll see eight, nine signs in an intersection. And then I'll cross town to show a home and I won't see it for miles. So I think it's interesting that people are being preyed upon. I, you know, that's what I personally feel they're being preyed upon um, by myself and others. I'm not going to say I don't, you know, look for the opportunity as an investor, you know, but they don't. And it's a conflict with me. When I get to sit down and talk to someone, I find myself now wanting to help them. I find myself frustrated and reflecting back to what happened to my family, what happened to me. And that's what started this conversation that, why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep, what's, what's the root of this? And it's the lack of education, lack of knowledge, why I should keep it, why I should hold on to this. What does this really mean? Okay, my grandparents bought it for 50,000. We sold it for 280,000. It's now worth 850,000. What do we, what we, how the value of the home continues to rise. You might hit a dip here and there, but it's going to continue to rise. If you can continue to own that home, you can leverage the equity in that home to solve some of the things when you need to. You don't have to take out a refinance for everything. You can take a refinance out for a little bit, but you want to try to leverage the equity to start a business, take out the equity to pay for your college. You want to take it out when it's needed, not just because you want a new car, not just because you want to take a vacation, but think about it as this is what your children are going to be left with and that you shouldn't be spending their money on a new butt lift, on a new facelift, on some injections. You, would you spend their diaper money on that? Because you're spending their children's diaper money on it. Right. We don't think that far ahead. And I uh, what you had said earlier is having a plan in place. Because if, if, if you're looking at a home that you still had in the family and is worth $850,000 <laughs> and, 
and it's and, and let's say it's already paid for. It's the house is yeah. paid for, but it's value eight hundred and fifty. Well, it's it may million. work to sell it if you only if you're only splitting it with maybe two or three people. But if you got if you got ten people to 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 split it with, I mean, but it's still is. Yeah, that's my family in the mineral rights in Texas. There's so many of us we don't even know. The lawyer calls us, we don't even know. You know, we split in pennies, and it's it's a joke. Um, the one holding that one piece and making it work um, can do so much for the family and whole. Um, again, starting businesses, um, I see a lot of other families creating trust, and the only time the money can be taken from the home is to pay for education or to pay for another home. The trust now is that works. Good. If you get yeah, if you have if you get a trust set up and have you know whatever the bylaws are within within that within that trust, but but we don't even have living trust for our own personal yes stuff. And that's and that's that's the guy. We me and you were just saying about selling it and why didn't you sell it? But when you keep it, what do you do? We don't know about Prop 13 and how now Prop 19 affects us. We don't talk about having trust. I can go to neighborhoods and I can look at look at the records and see the property assessments and I'll look and say, oh, owned by this person, this person, this person. I'll go to another neighborhood, living trust, living trust, living trust, living trust, living trust, living trust. I go, that's funny. The homes that have more value happen to all be in living trust. And I used to think, well, that means they're not selling. No, they will still sell, but they put it in a living trust immediately for tax purposes, they put it in a living trust for um, tax, yeah, for taxes, personal taxes, for income tax purpose. I mean, for oh, gosh, I'm sorry, for um, investment purposes. They do it for a lot of other reasons. But we say, well, I'm not paying twenty five hundred dollars to have somebody write up a paper. Can I just write a note and write, make it a will? No, those don't. That doesn't work. You're going to end up in probate. That twenty five hundred dollars you save. Is now going to cost you $25,000 in probate fees. Lawyers, judges, the filing, the paperwork, you're going to be in there six months. Have a gentleman who's going to sell a house. For those that follow my social media, it was a, he became a friend. Um, he passed um, before he could sell his house. And he had left one of those transfer upon death forms. And the title wasn't accepted. He had someone file and say that... Um, I have rights to this property and the transfer upon death does not fight or dispute that. So it still had to go to probate. So the people that were supposed to, and I know he said, give it to them. I know it. I've, he's told me this over months and months of conversations that it's going to them. It's going to this person. Now some other outside person comes in and says, but I want my share. How can we, he was supposed to leave it to me. He felt he was supposed to, but that's not what his intentions were. And so now those people have waited an entire year and the taxes are due, bills are due. Do they have an option to keep the house? They owe money on it and now they're paying for probate on it. So unless you have money elsewhere to cover those expenses, you have to sell the house just to get out of debt. Right, right. And, and that can have been solved by having a living trust. Right. Now you had talked about, you, you talked about um, your family having land in, in Texas. A lot of a, a lot of us who um, participated in that northern migration as Black people going to to the northern states, New York, Chicago, coming out west to California to escape Jim Crow South. Those are some places that we can go back to and buy property when it may not be as affordable here. In Los Angeles, you were talking about someone that you knew that had bought that that a lot of their real estate holdings are are in other states. That's How true. easy is it to buy property in a state that you don't live in to be an absent owner? It is still fairly easy. Um, a lot of us shy away from what we don't know, opposed to looking it up. We can look up how to do the latest TikTok dance, but we won't look up how to make a home purchase. Well, who do I contact? A state might have, it might be a lawyer state. It might be a title combined escrow state, but the functionality of it is the same. It's still a purchase. You're still going to identify the seller. You're going to identify the property. 
You're going to get title insurance for it. You're going to put your money in escrow to secure it until that title transfers over. It's very easy to still do that. It's just finding the right key players. Um, all these people are usually state licensed. So you have to verify that to make sure. In most cases, in most states like California, the buyer doesn't pay commission. So there's not a lot of risk on your part in doing this if you can find a state licensed person to help you. I give a lot of referrals to people that are going to other states. Um, I think it's important to know that in 2019, there was a um, plus 106,000 of working eligible people leaving the state of California. Now that's taking into account total people leaving, total people coming in, there was still a plus 106,000 leaving California. And I think when you realize that, and these are working eligible people, these are people that are too old to work and retired or handicapped. These are working eligible people measured, not children, working eligible. Um, that alone, or migrations, you see migrations from the inner city to areas like Palmdale in the 80s and to Moreno Valley in the 80s. Um, people took that opportunity. Um, unfortunately, some of those areas weren't developed like we thought. And some of those neighborhoods became a little, you know, less attractive over the years. But now those areas are picking up, picking up um, speed and people are creating value there. And now the migration is to go to Eastvale, Corona, to go to the outlying areas like um, um, towards Palm Springs and Beaumont and going out to Temecula. And people are finding affordable housing out there. And with the pandemic, people working from home they're able to work and buy a house in those neighborhoods and work from home and maybe commute once a week. And they can get the house of the dream and get themselves into a place that they can earn some equity and earn and, and close that generational or close that, that gap, that, I'm sorry, the gap of wealth. You know, we were talking earlier also and said, um, we find ourselves reacting so late to the opportunities that by the time we jump on it, the opportunity is shrunk. You know, we don't get what the person that first started it got because we were hesitating because we have so many rules in our culture. You know, get your hand out of my pocket. Don't be out of my business. Keep my name out your mouth. You know, why are you over there talking about me? Don't you ever be putting my name in your mouth? You know, all these things we say as a culture. Don't be going up the street telling them our business. We, we keep to ourselves. We don't share. We don't educate. Why is it that when we sit down for dinner and we sit down for the holidays, we don't talk and communicate and talk about the work we do. Our homes become entertainment centers to get over the pain and miseries that we've suffered over the years. But we need to start focusing on educating the children and making it a common conversation about what, what is mom doing as a nurse? What is the day at work like? Instead of just coming home and collapsing and saying, I'm tired, give me my wine, I'm done. That's what I live with, you know, versus Dave over there you know, at the school I went to in the Valley, he comes home and he knows, oh, my dad's a dentist. He does this, 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 this. Oh, my neighbor over there across the street, this is what they do. They're an accountant. They do this, 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 and this. How do you know what they do? How do you know it? So when I, even going to college, I didn't know what job I wanted because I didn't know what the jobs were. I heard titles. I hear them on TV, but I don't know what the work was. On the educational level, we're cheating ourselves. And we, we cheat ourselves on going and what school options we have and work options we have, financial options and how to keep what we've already earned. I mean, we're running a race and then we're dropping the baton at the end. We've got to pass the baton with all the potential, you know? So whether it's buying here or out of state, out of state is not that difficult. It can be, it can happen. And it's cheaper, it's more affordable. And, you know, those communities, they're a little bit more of a risk because you're out of state to manage it, but it's possible. And it's just about building the right team of, of people that you trust to, to do those transactions for you, whether it's out of state or right here in your own city that you live in. I think you gave us some great takeaways for what, what, what we need to do. Um, you talked about passing on the baton, um, educating ourselves. What else can we do right now to prepare ourselves for home ownership which will lead to generational wealth. That's a big point. Every day we should be preparing. We should be conscious of our credit scores. We should be conscious of where we're saving and putting our monies. 
we should be listening to those hard conversations and not saying it doesn't impact me right now. You know, we tend to shy away from conversations that don't affect us right now. But guess what? It will. You can't say, oh, I'm ready to buy a house right now. Guess what? Where's your pre-approval letter? Where's your documentation? Where's your paycheck stub? And I don't know. I don't even know where my bank statements are. Well, you have to have those things lined up. I talk to certain people and they're all ready to go. They can whoop it out, but it takes a day or two. When you talk to us, it takes two months. They don't even know where to find a check stub. You're getting paid and you don't know where your check stub is. You don't even know how to pull your bank statements out because we don't want to look. Something might jump out on us. I don't want to know. <laughs> you know, the money's in the account. That's all I care. Where's your Where's your tax records? Oh, why had such and such hooked me up? No, I don't want to hook up. If you, and that's another problem. People file their taxes and try to show as little as possible. Well, when you go to buy a house, they want to see how much you're actually making so they can give you a house based on what you make. But if you keep it low and say you only make 20,000 a year when you make 60, you're not going to be able to afford much of a house. So start educating yourself on what's needed, the tools. Start educating yourself on um, your own skills. Get your own skills up. Start watching YouTube videos on generational wealth and how to own and purchase properties. You shared a website with me earlier. What well, is, the, is, is that website available for consumers who are not agents to go and get information about home ownership? Um, that's funny. I never look at it from that perspective, but I think it is. Um, California Association of Realtors, it's car.org. Um, I go onto it because it gives me, a, it's my association for the state. It tells me and it points me in the right directions of what's happening, what's going on in the world of real estate and what's happening, not just in Southern Cal and Northern Cal, because those things trickle down and those things trickle up. Um, another one, as you mentioned, Realtor.com, you know, I'm not endorsing any of these, but Realtor.com um, is really meant for the consumer. Um, don't look at it from an aspect of, ooh, here's a house I want to buy, but look at it as an aspect of articles I can read and learn about. There's a, knowledge, there's, a, there's a wealth of resources in there that it can prepare you. Uh, when it's time to buy, talk to a realtor. Let them point you in the right direction. One thing is, when you look at some of these uh, websites, they're subscribers. They're not always brokers. So they're not, they're not legally responsible or have a judicial responsibility to give you accurate and updated information. They just provide the information to get the volume of listeners, the volume of viewers, to sell the ad space. So I would tell them to Mike, think about what is your, and what, how can people find you? I can be found on Instagram, Mike.Butler, and that's Butler with two T's. And so Mike, B-U-T-T-L-E-R dot Realtor, or you can reach out to me at MikeButler at Gmail. Um, best way to go. Or you can also call me at 562 419-2939. Thank you to Michael Butler and Stasi Kuzak Mercedes. Check out Los Angeles Community Action Network on Facebook for information about the Freedom Singers concert series on Thursday, 6 p.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M. Wash Soul for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on radiojustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.